What's important to note is that the waterfall is outlined in the PPM, the private placement memorandum. Every passive investor needs to be reading the PPM. You could obviously leverage an attorney, a lawyer to help you out with that, but it's very important to understand all the ins and outs. There could be a lot of things in those that are unfavorable that you may not be comfortable with. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Actively Passive Investing Show. As always, I'm Theo Hicks, speaking today with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing today? Hey, Theo, I'm doing great. Let's rock and roll. So today we are going to be talking about capital stacks and waterfalls. So a little bit more technical, but it is important to understand what capital stacks and waterfalls are, because ultimately as a passive investor, this is going to determine how you get paid and when you get paid. So before we dive into more detail on those two items, Travis is going to let us know why we are talking about this topic today. Sure, Theo. To your point, is a more technical topic. We don't always dive in to technical topics. So I thought this would be good to discuss. This is also a blog on joefairless.com. So I just wanted to kind of cover this verbally for folks. So it's important to understand capital stacks and waterfalls, both from a passive investing perspective and also from an active perspective. So I want to highlight a couple different things, the difference between a capital stack, a waterfall. I'll have you cover probably some terminology just to paint the picture a little more broadly. And really, what are we talking about? Like always, as an investor, we're talking about risk. This has a lot to do with risk. This has a lot to do with due diligence, vetting a deal, being comfortable with what you're investing in. So I'm excited to dive in. And I guess before I take it away, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Theo? Nope. Let's get into it. Cool, man. I'll start with discussing the waterfall here from a high level. So the way that the capital stack works, which we'll talk about in a minute, was often referred to the waterfall. So waterfall is how cash flow trickles down and gets distributed to the investors, to the GPs, et cetera. So what's important to note is that the waterfall is outlined in the PPM, the private placement memorandum. Every passive investor needs to be reading the PPM. You could obviously leverage an attorney, a lawyer to help you out with that, but it's very important to understand all the ins and outs. There could be a lot of things in those that are unfavorable that you may not be comfortable with. So definitely be reading those. So What the waterfall really covers is who, how, and when each partner, we're talking about a limited partner or general partner, gets paid from the performance on this particular real estate syndication that we're talking about. I don't care if we're talking about multifamily or self-storage or mobile home parks, this is about syndications, right? Real estate, private placement. Some share classes, as an example, may only receive cash flow. Others may receive cash flow plus equity upside. So we're going to talk about that. So the question is, up front, I always talk about knowing your criteria, knowing yourself, knowing your goals. Are you more cash flow focused? Are you more equity focused? Maybe are you a combination of the two? Do you kind of like that 50-50 mix or whatnot? So it's also important to note that common equity and preferred equity, which we'll define here in a minute, they're not debt. So cash flow gets paid out after expenses and debt on the property are paid. 
Okay, so more on that in a bit. But Theo, I want to turn it over to you real quick just to cover a few definitions and paint the picture a little more broadly. I'll jump into the capital stack in more detail here in a minute. Yeah, so just to follow up what you said. So for the waterfall when you're in the PPM, it's kind of written out in paragraph form. So it says, first, this happens. And then assuming that there's cash left over, then this happens. And then assuming there's cash left over, then this happens. In the PPM, you'll see it. They may call it different things, but like ongoing cash flow. And then how the cash flow at sale is distributed, right? And so uh, at the end of all this, the money that you're getting from the waterfall is going to be calculated as a certain return to you. And the two common return factors that are used in multi-payment syndications and really any syndication that I've looked at is the cash on cash return and then the IRR. And so as the waterfall plays itself out, all that cash flow that you received the cash and cash returns to be based off of that and how much you invested. So super simple numbers. If you invested $100,000 and then you received $10,000 in cash flow from the waterfall, then the cash and cash return is going to be 10%. The other return factor is IRR. And so it's a little bit different than cash on cash return because IRR is going to take into account the timing of those distributions. So cash and cash return is kind of absolute once the waterfall's has played itself out, all the cash value that you've gotten divided by your total investment is cash and cash return. IRR is a little bit more of a complicated, pretty long formula, but basically it takes the time value of money to account. So if you receive that $10,000 in one year or two years or five years, the actual value of that is a little bit different because the value of money in five years is different than the value of money today. So unless you're investing in a deal that's held for like a year, and the IRR is going to be a little bit lower than the cash and cash return. The way I like to think of IRR is a really good comparison tool to compare multiple investments to see how they're absolutely performing because cash and cash return might not be a good indicator because of the fact that maybe you get no money up front and then a bunch of money at the very end, which would look the same as getting that same money spread out day one and then at the end and then nothing at the end. So I think IRR is a better metric to look at And then another important, not really a metric, but just something to think about that we've talked about on the show before is the velocity of your money. And this is another reason why IRR is so important because the sooner you get that money back, not only is it worth more, but it's also able to work for you more. So you can reinvest that back into another deal and make a faster return as opposed to getting that money later, waiting a year, multiple years before reinvesting that. So that's basically the output of these waterfalls. So you really want to dive in to see when you're getting your money back. Not necessarily order, but when you're getting it. So for example, if there's some sort of preferred return or a coupon offered and it's not hit your one, when does that accrued money get paid out? Because if the timing of when it gets paid out will definitely impact that IRR. There's something to keep in mind ultimately that you want to understand when you get paid, how much that's going to be, because they can, you can better plan for when you're going to get that money back and be able to reuse it to invest in other opportunities. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. One of the hardest tasks to balance while scaling your real estate investing business is accounting. Well, realestateaccounting.co takes care of the numbers for you so you can grow your business and revenue. REA helps property managers and investors save time and money by automating back office, financial, admin, and accounting. Starting is quick and seamless, from accounts payable to reconciliations, taxes, and reporting. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever 
to find out how REA clients save on average 30% by leveraging their accounting services versus hiring in-house. With CPAs on staff and being owner-operators themselves, REA knows the challenges of your growing real estate business. Try it risk-free at realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. And remember to mention the Best Ever Podcast sent you to receive up to $1,800 towards onboarding and services. That's realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. So let's get a little more technical then. I want to talk about the capital stack. I want to define a few things with different tier classes, IRR hurdles, splits. So this is the technical portion (laughs) for those that know me. I'm not the most analytical person, but I think this is important for the episode. So The capital stack in a real estate syndication is basically where the debt and the equity partners are ranked in order based on the relationship between risk and priority. So let's define that. So the highest priority in the capital stack usually holds the lowest amount of risk. So the classic example here is your senior debt. This could be Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. This could be a private loan. This is the debt on the property, the mortgage. You could think about a single family home, your mortgage. So usually those returns, as far as thinking about the lender or the bank, are quite low. They could be 2 to 4%, let's say, for example purposes. That's a pretty low return, but they're in first dibs, first position, first lien, this kind of stuff. So they have the top priority. Then depending on the structure, not every syndication obviously is going to have preferred equity, but I want to talk about that a little bit. So preferred equity has first dibs on distributable cash flow after the debt service has been paid. So this could be outlined different ways. What I've seen commonly is that preferred equity may have just a nice solid cash flow return, call it a 10% or a 13% or 12% cash flow, maybe no equity upside, but again, they're first in line after debt and expenses are paid on the property. And back to the definition real quick, cash flow is distributed after expenses and debt get paid. So they would be just under your senior debt there. All debt always has top priority. This is the same too. Again, we draw parallels all the time into the stock market. Same concept. When a company goes bankrupt, a publicly traded company, let's say the debt gets paid first, and then it's the equity holders and the shareholders. If there's money left over, then they get paid. So that's just how it works in business. Then below preferred equity, if that's even part of the equation, then you have common equity. And this is what most limited partners are investing in is the common equity. 
So you might participate just in cash flow, or you might be participating in cash flow and equity upside in a deal. So I want to talk about that a little more in detail because you can have different common equity share classes. You could have A class and B class and C class and so on of common equity. And I'll give you the example that a lot of folks are using nowadays that I see in the multifamily space. They'll have an A class and a B class. We've talked about this before on the show. So if the investor's more looking for cash flow, maybe a higher yield, maybe a higher preferred return, that's commonly your A class shares. So you might receive, for example purposes right now, a 10% coupon or a 10% preferred return but you're not participating in equity upside, meaning if the property was purchased at $50 million and it later sells at $60 million, you're not partaking in that upside, that $10 million gain. There's no part of that. You're just getting a flat 10% return, assuming that the property can produce that. And then the B class would be participating in cash flow as well, but sitting lower in the capital stack. So you have your senior debt, you have your preferred equity, if that's part of the coin, then you have common equity, which is your A class, and then common equity B class. So they might be receiving a little bit lower cash flow. Let's call it a 7% coupon or preferred return for example purposes, but then they are participating in any potential equity upside in the deal. And that same example where the property was purchased at 50 million, sells at 60. So then there would be usually a split. So I want to talk about splits for a minute. So a split means a split of the equity and or the cash flow between the limited partners and the general partners. So let's say the split is 70-30, just to use a pretty common metric that a lot of firms use. So it could be that after the preferred return, let's talk about cash flow first. So after these B class common equity limited partners receive their 7% and assuming the A class and preferred equity and everybody else has made their money, there'd be a 70-30 split. So every percentage point over seven is split. 70% goes to the limited partners and 30% to the general partnership. Same thing with equity. In that example of 50 million purchase price, 60 million sale price, there's $10 million there in equity. So a 70-30 split would suggest that 70% of that 10 million or $7 million gets sent to the limited partners pro rata based on everybody's percentage of ownership in this particular deal or fund. 30% or $3 million goes to the general partnership. So that's what a split means. The numbers will vary. You might see a 50-50 split, a 70-30, a 60-40, an 80-20. And that's just what they're talking about when you talk about splits. So that's important to recognize, obviously, for obvious reasons. You want to know how favorable that is. And to take it one step further, this is all part of the fee structure, by the way, and vetting out the deal and deciding how comfortable you are, is to consider that there could be an IRR hurdle as well <laughs> to further complicate this. So there might be a clause in your PPM or in your waterfall that suggests that after these B-class limited partners, common equity, get, let's call it a 15% IRR, internal rate of return, then the split changes. It was a 70-30 once you achieve a 15 IRR, now it goes to a 50-50 or a 60-40. There's different ways to structure all this. As Theo pointed out earlier, it's just important to review, and it's usually laid out in paragraph format, like you said, if this happens, then that happens. Once that happens, then this would happen. 
So you're just kind of reading through this in story format to kind of read between the lines and then see what would ultimately happen in all these different scenarios. So it can get quite complex. That's why it's always good to leverage a legal team if you can, if you have the resources to do so. If not, just really study up on the PPM. Just really understand what it is you're investing in. General partners can structure all different kinds of ways. I've seen everything from the most simple 70-30 split across the board. There's no hurdles. There's no preps. It's just 70-30. Every dollar that gets made is 70-30. And then I've seen very, 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 very complex structures <laughs> that are really tough, even for some legal attorneys and lawyers to figure out. So just be comfortable with it is my bottom line. And hopefully that was informative. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group of eight to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at BEC2022.com. That's BEC2022.com. One thing I would say is it can get very, very complex, especially hearing it. And so if you go to yeah. JoeFarrell.com, we have an accredited investors category. And there's a lot of things that Travis has talked about understanding the different types of splits and cash and cash return versus IRR, these hurdles he talked about, what's the difference between preferred return and cash and cash return. We've got blog posts that go into a lot of these things. But yeah, it's the whole point here is usually when you're presented with an email from a syndicator, you just see what the projected or forecasted return is. So this is the behind the scenes, how that number was calculated. To make things even more complicated, there's also something called a GP catch-up. Yeah. Because let's say, for example, let's say there's just a straight-up pref offered to one group of 10%, let's say, and the deal only cash flows 10% the entire time. And the GPs technically haven't gotten any of their profit split yet. So as a sale, they catch up to make things even based off of whatever the equity split is, so 70-30, and then the rest is split 70-30. And then I also want to mention for the hurdle, IRR is going to be zero until you've gotten your money back. So this hurdle, it usually just comes into play at sale, unless there is some massive yeah. refinance. The profit split shouldn't change during the actual hold period. So it'll be more like the $10 million profit at sale, the first $5 million is split, 70-30, and then that happens to bring you to that 15% IRR, and then the next $5 million is split 50-50. But ultimately, this is important to understand the behind the scenes because it helps you understand where the return factor is coming from. But at the end of the day, what really matters to you is, are you comfortable with that return that they're offering? Are you comfortable with that structure? Are you comfortable with when you are paid compared to when everyone else involved in the deal is paid? So you need a really good example that we talked about before the show about something that seemed because very favorable to the GPs, but it was actually, you got a return that you're comfortable with. So it was fine. Yeah, I'll share that story really quick. I was a limited partner in a deal in a syndication type offering. And the general partners in this particular offering were taking 66% of all profits and leaving approximately 33% to the limited partners, which is what I was. But when all was said and done, when we exited that deal, I had around a 15% 
IRR return as a limited partner, even though they took that much in profits. So I was okay with that. As a limited partner, if I could get a 15% return all the time, I'm good. So I was comfortable with it myself. And this was a little bit different business model. This wasn't your typical multifamily syndication kind of deal, but it just made sense to me. But not everyone would be comfortable with that. Some people would look at that fee structure and say, absolutely not. There's no way I would do that. And that's fine. We're all different. But to me, that that met my criteria. We always talk about vetting the team and the market and the deal. This whole conversation we've had today is about vetting the deal. And it's some of the more technical analysis that would go into that. And as Theo pointed out, we have tons of resources. This to me anyway, me personally, if I was listening to this episode today, I would need a visual. (laughs) I would need something to actually look at and to study and to read over paragraphs. And I would have to go pull out a PPM and I would have to read through what you're talking about. But hopefully it added some value for those that can just envision what we're talking about and just some things to jot down to be on the lookout for. So that's all I got. Yeah, a good visual would be why it's called a waterfall. Just think of like a waterfall that starts at the top, that's the cash flow, and then it hits that first whatever ridge. And then once that ridge fills up and it gets what it gets, then the rest of the remaining falls into the next ridge, and then the next ridge, and the next ridge. And at the end, what's left over goes to the last person. So just think of it it that way. I think that's where the terminology came from, like a multi-tiered waterfall with all the cash flow getting split between the different levels. So definitely check out our accredited investors category on our best ever blog. That'll be very helpful if you're more of a visual learner. So Travis, anything else that you want to mention before we sign off? I don't think so. Just do your due diligence as we always point out. That's it. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Travis, for joining us today. As always, best ever listeners, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow.